starting at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Well, good morning, and uh, it's, let me add to Dan's welcome this morning. Uh, if you're new or visiting, uh, my name's Jono. I am the Senior Minister of our group of churches and the pastor of uh, Harrington Park Anglican Church. And it's my privilege to be opening with you this morning this part of the Scriptures that is described as the most important uh, paragraph that has ever been written, or the, the, the hinge point of the whole Bible. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty big, pretty tall order uh, to be preaching on this, but... Um, uh, we pray with me as we uh, as we get into this and think this uh, this through together. Uh, let's pray. Our Father God, we uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this part of Romans. And Father, we ask that you give us insight and understanding, that we would know you better, and that we would love you more, and that we would trust in Jesus. And we ask this in His name. Amen. It's not fair. Now, there are three words I think every parent has, has heard, no doubt, many times from the lips of an indignant child in response to some colossal injustice, such as being told to go to bed uh, at a certain time or only being allowed to have two biscuits when they wanted five biscuits or some such great uh, injustice as that. Uh, from a young age, we all have a, a highly attuned sensitivity to injustice especially when it's perpetrated against us. And this is something that, that really continues with us through life. You know, when someone cuts in on us in traffic, pushes in, and, and we get stuck at the red light while they sneak through on the yellow. When someone at work gets the recognition or the promotion, even though they didn't deserve it. When the criminal walks free, seemingly getting off on a technicality, we don't like injustice. And rightly so. I mean, consider the, the recent protests in the US and, and now also in Australia. At their heart is a concern for injustice. Uh, we care about justice. We want justice to be done. We, we want the guilty punished and we want the innocent set free. And we want a legal system that does what is right, that is just, that is fair and that is good and right. But what about God and justice? Well, surely we likewise want him to do what is right and just and fair. Uh, especially when things go unchecked in this life, we, we rightly want God to bring justice in the end, even if it's not until the day when people face God in judgment. We, we do want God to hold the guilty to account for their crimes. And, uh, and praise God, the God we meet in the Bible is a God of justice, of righteousness. 
perfect justice, perfect righteousness, who will hold everyone to account for their actions. But God is also a God of forgiveness and grace. And we simultaneously love that and we want that. We want God to be just, but we also want Him to be forgiving. Especially when we're talking about ourselves and we're the ones in need of forgiveness. But how do these two go together? How can God be both forgiving and just? How can He forgive a criminal and yet still be just and right and fair? I mean, to illustrate the problem in in human terms, if uh, my brother Dan broke into my house and and helped himself to my possessions and hacked into my bank account and transferred all my money into his account and then jumped in my car and and drove off, and if my response was simply, eh, no worries, and and next time I see him, there's there's no consequences or anything, he just continues on in his life, has justice been done? Well, clearly not. Now, obviously, Dan wouldn't do such a terrible thing as that, but I'll just pick on him because, of course, he wouldn't do that. But let's turn that from the horizontal to the vertical. Not Dan and me, but us and God. If we've wronged God, and, well, if you've been listing the last four sermons, they've clearly shown that we all have, then how can God say, I forgive you, and still be just and right and fair? How can God be right in saying, I'm right, when I'm wrong? How can God simultaneously be just and merciful? Now, if you're thinking, well, this kind of sounds like we're heading into theological brain strain territory as we try to get our head around the character of God who is both just and and merciful, righteous and forgiving, and, and you're a little bit wary because it kind of sounds like hard work and maybe a bit too theoretical, I want to say, no, no, no. Come with me as we look at this part of Scripture that opens this up for us, that, that shows us the wonder of the character of God. This is something that, that I'm praying will be an immense and practical blessing and benefit to each and every one of us. These uh, few verses that we're looking at this morning, they are profoundly rich, profoundly important. One commentator has described this as possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Uh, Martin Luther, the 16th century theologian, famously called this passage the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Get the idea? It's, this is pretty important. So look with me. I hope you've got a, a Bible open so you can follow through as we go. Um, it begins with a big but, a massively important but, but now. You know when you're listening to someone and, and they're talking, talking away and, and, and you, you're listening and, you, and you're just waiting for the but. You, you know the but's coming. Uh, it's often in, in the negative, it's a negative but, you know, there can be positive, positive, positive. Well, you know, I, I did like what she said and, and well, she made a good point and of course it is an important issue and you're just waiting for the, the but. Well, this is actually the opposite of that. There's the negative, 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 and then comes the gloriously positive, big but. But now, the the righteousness of God has been made known. 
It's been revealed. It's been manifested. Um, This is actually linking all the way back to chapter 1, uh, verse 16, uh, where Paul says in 1, verse 16, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Verse 17, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is uh, by faith from first to last. And then, um, and then we have this, this big section from 1 verse 18 all the way through to 3 verse 20, uh, showing us the need for, of the, for this righteousness of God, showing us our sin, our depravity, our rejection of God and our, our need to, uh, uh, to be saved. And then in 3 verse 21, he, he comes full circle and comes back and says, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. You can see the parallel ideas on the the screen here. So in 1 verse 17, it says, In the gospel, the righteousness of God has been, uh, sorry, is revealed. And then 3 verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. God's righteousness, his justice, his, his fairness, That's what this passage is about. Uh, God's righteousness is spoken of four times in these six verses, in verse uh, 21, 22, 25 and 26. The theme of this passage is God's righteousness, which means, and this might be kind of stating the obvious, but it's an important and hopefully helpful point for us. It, It means that this passage is first and foremost about God and not about us. So let's look at this and and learn something about God, be reminded of something about God. I want to draw four points uh, in this passage which relate to the righteousness of God. Firstly, the witnesses to the righteousness of God. What do I mean? Well, in the gospel of Jesus, the the righteousness of God is revealed, it says this, and and this is apart from the law, But it's not like this is just a completely new and different thing that's just come from nowhere. No, this was always God's plan. The Old Testament law and the prophets, they're witnesses. They testify to it, as verse 21 says. They point forward to the time when God's righteousness and justice would finally be revealed in the gospel. This has been likened to a, a room in darkness where everything is in place and the law and the prophets are like seeing shadows of the reality of what's in the room. But when the gospel of Jesus is revealed, it's like turning on the light and seeing the room properly. It was always there, but it was somewhat in the dark. So the law and the prophets are witnesses that testify to God's righteousness revealed in the gospel. The gospel was always God's ultimate plan. Second point is the recipients of this righteousness. See, God's righteousness is is not only about who he is, his moral character, his rightness, his, his justice. It is about that, but it's also about what he does and what he gives to others. See, verse 22, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. Uh, verse 24 likewise says, uh, all are justified freely 
by his grace. The word justified there is, is the same word. You, you could say righteousified, except that's not a word, but it's, it's, it's the same underlying word for righteous. They're declared, all are declared righteous freely by his grace. God declares people righteous. He justifies them. So he says to these recipients of his righteousness, you are right in my eyes. And this righteousness comes uh, from Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, uh, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, It could equally be translated through the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that is through Jesus' perfect faithfulness, both uh, the faith in Jesus Christ or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, both are valid translations and both are actually true of the gospel and the rest of the Bible. Either way, this right standing before God comes from Jesus and it comes importantly notice to those who believe to all who believe verse 22 those who depend on Jesus as saviour who humbly bow their knee to him as Lord and it's a gift it's not a reward for good behaviour it's not a payment for services rendered it's not it's not something that we, we earn, it's, and it's not just for good and moral people. Notice the end of verse 22, it says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, in one way or another, have exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped poor substitutes. And so this, this gift of righteousness is undeserved. What we all deserve is the just condemnation of God, his wrath against us because of our rejection of him. But instead, he gives us righteousness. He righteousifies us freely by his grace. How can this be? I mean, if you're a Christian, you're you're very familiar with the concept of God's grace, of receiving an undeserved gift. But stop and think about it. How can God do this? How can he be perfectly just and fair? How can he be right when he declares us to be right when in fact we're wrong? Is this a a colossal miscarriage of justice for God to justify sinners? Now, I'm sure you know the answer has to be no, right? But stick with me because we need to understand why. In order to truly appreciate the wonder and the life-transforming power of the gospel, And this is not just some kind of theological puzzle to solve. This actually underpins and drives our daily relationship with God and with others. This brings us to our third point, the source. The source of this saving righteousness of God, well, there's two aspects to it. It, it, And it's kind of like looking at two different aspects, uh, looking at a precious diamond from two different angles where you, you see different aspects as you look at this one diamond, as you look at it in in different ways. The first way is through redemption. Verse 24 says that uh, this has come through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, redemption is uh, is buying something out of slavery or captivity. It's uh, paying a price to achieve the the liberation of something or or someone. So a slave or a a prisoner, um, they're, they're captives. But then they're freed, they're redeemed through the payment of a price. 
That's what Christ Jesus has done. He paid the price of his life to release us from our captivity to sin and judgment. His death for us is the source of our redemption, our justification. But secondly, his death for us is a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, as verse 25 says. Now, the language here should remind us of uh, the Old Testament Levitical high priest who would present an offering to cleanse God's people. Here, God himself makes the offering in Christ, an offering that deals with and turns aside God's wrath. Now, that phrase, sacrifice of atonement, could more accurately be translated propitiation, The only problem with translating as propitiation is most people don't know what propitiation means, except perhaps the kids of our church, thanks to the great teaching program and the Collins song called Big Words That End in Shun. Propitiation means, and the kids at home who might be watching this could be calling out at the TV now, propitiation means God's wrath is turned aside. And as we've seen from chapters 1 through to 3 of Romans, left to ourselves, we all rightly face God's wrath against us because of our sin but in this supreme act of God of grace God has himself in Christ Jesus turned aside that wrath and taken it upon himself he bears the wrath himself and so pays the price for our redemption to Christ Jesus and his death for us that is the source of the saving righteousness of God that he's given to us. Now, it's important to understand that that this is God himself taking the wrath of God upon himself in Jesus. Christ Jesus is is not a a kind of an innocent third party who copped God's wrath instead of us getting it. As if God said, well, instead of punishing you, I'm going to punish that innocent guy over there. That would be profoundly unjust. No, this is God himself in Christ, bearing God's wrath himself for us. In fear of using an inadequate illustration, you could say it it is like the the judge himself painting the fence uh, 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 on behalf of the, the criminal who is guilty. Which brings us to our fourth point regarding God's righteousness, and that is the proof of God's righteousness. God proves that he is righteous. Halfway through verse 25, it says, He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And then he repeats in verse 26, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, righteous. And the one who justifies, righteousifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here's the answer to our question of of how God can be right in declaring that I'm right when I'm wrong. It's because he has already punished my wrong in the death of Christ. Before Christ, in his forbearance, God had, had left sins committed unpunished, but in Christ Jesus, he punished the sins of all who believe. My sin, your sin, if your faith is in Jesus, has already been completely punished and dealt with. God's right and perfectly righteous wrath 
against us has already been poured out and taken by God in Christ for us. How can God be right in saving sinners? Because he's already punished sinners at the cross. If we're united with Christ by faith, then we died with him in his death. And so God is just in justifying those who have faith in Jesus, whose sin has already been paid. I said before that this is not just some sort of theological problem or puzzle to solve. This is actually at the heart of our relationship with God, which we express and we live out day by day. See, through faith in Jesus, we can rest fully assured of God's forgiveness, of peace with Him. Our standing with God doesn't depend on the the quality of of our performance, you know, how well we, we measure up to the expectations of God or of other people or even our own expectations. And our failure to measure up to doesn't jeopardize our standing with God. Being justified, declared righteous before God, that, that's a free gift of His grace to all who believe. And so we can we can rest secure in that. Now that doesn't mean that we just take that for granted and say, well, you know, sweet, free ticket. I'm just going to ignore God and live in rebellion against Him. No, that's not living with faith in Christ. We we strive to to live in obedience to God in response to the salvation that He's freely given us. And when we strive and yet still fail, as we inevitably all of us do all too often, we can come back to the cross knowing that our sin has already been paid for. God has already declared us righteous through faith in Christ Jesus. That is a wonderfully liberating and motivating foundation to life. Well, I have three implications. Firstly, put your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know where your heart is before God, but in light of what God has done for us through Jesus... His glorious grace, His love, His mercy. Let me implore you to to put your faith in Jesus. Receive the gift of being declared righteous, not guilty, at peace with God. Believe in Him as your Saviour and bow your knee to Him as your Lord. Now I expect that's something that uh, that many of you have already done. Uh, If you're already a follower of Jesus... And if that's you, then let me urge you to to continue to put your faith in Jesus. But I want to say, if that's a new step for you, let me urge you to take it. As this most important paragraph ever written has told us, God has made His righteousness known. It's, It's out in the open. It's there in black and white. You can be right with God, your Creator your judge. You can be at peace with him, forgiven, secure, anchored now and forever. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. That's the sort of prayer that you you could pray to, to take that step of trusting Jesus. And you can pray it with me. Uh, make it your own prayer to God. Before I do, two other implications for us all. Second implication, this means we can rest assured 
Rest assured that, that our standing before God is 100% God's doing. See, we're not justified because, well, we're fairly good people and Jesus just sort of topped things up to get us over the line. We're not justified because of our faith, as if our faith is a, a contribution towards our salvation. I mean, faith is, sim- is simply trust and it's not our trust that saves us, it's the, the thing or the person that we trust who saves us. Uh, our, our faith is like a, um, a cheap metal band fashioned into a ring with a, with a clasp to hold an enormous and precious diamond. I mean, the, the value of the ring is not in the cheap metal band, in, in our faith. The, the value is in the precious diamond that the band with its clasp hangs onto. And actually, the band of faith is given by God. So really, it's 100% God's doing. Which means we can rest assured. The third and final implication of these profound few verses is simply to say that we ought to marvel at the wonder of God's character. His goodness and mercy, His grace, His perfect justice. In the end, this passage is is not so much about us as about God. So let's come before Him and praise Him and wonder at who He is and what He has done. We're going to pray now. And as I said, I'm going to pray a prayer that you might like to pray if you want to take that step of putting your faith, putting your trust in Jesus as your Saviour, as your Lord. I'll pray it a line at a time and uh, you can repeat it in your heart to God. Let's all pray. Our Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for making yourself known to us for revealing your plan through Jesus. We admit that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. We deserve your condemnation. Thank you for sending Jesus so that we might be forgiven. Thank you that he died to take the punishment that we deserve. Father, forgive us and change us that we might live with Jesus as our ruler. Amen. I want to say if you prayed that prayer to to take that step for the first time, that is wonderful. That is the most significant thing you can ever do. And I want to say please let us know so that we can help you and, uh, and talk with you. Go to our website, CVAC uh, online. Click on the button that says, I'm here today, and you can, you can put that in the comments. Uh, we'd love to get in touch and speak with you.